This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insights and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Welcome to the latest episode of Crowcast. My name's Lawrence Field. I'm a tax partner with Crow in the UK. One area that's been highlighted a lot in the press recently is the proposed tax changes in the States that the new Biden administration is thinking of putting in. And certainly not a lot of my clients are extremely keen to know some more about it and how it might impact them. So to help us discuss that, I've got a couple of colleagues along with me from uh, from Crow in the US, uh, Jordan Bacon and uh, Rob Hermo. Uh, Jordan, Rob, do you just want to introduce yourselves briefly? Sure, be happy to. Uh, thanks, Lawrence. I'm Jordan Bacon, a uh, international tax partner with Crow uh, based in Atlanta, Georgia. I, uh, I've been helping both US-owned and non-US-owned multinational clients um, of all sizes with tax planning and tax compliance matters for 30 years. I'm almost embarrassed to say public, private, you name it. Um, and in terms of industry, my focus has been a little more on manufacturing and distribution than anything else. But uh, there's also been a fair amount of technology uh, as well. Uh, happy to be with you today, Lawrence. Well, uh, my name is Robert Hermo. I'm a uh, tax senior manager here in the the New York office, uh, focus on international tax and say with a, a specialty closer to the private equity space, but also definitely work in the manufacturing and technology spaces as well. So thanks guys. Um, perhaps maybe we should go back back to the very beginning and talk a little bit about where we are now. To, to UK eyes, the President Trump kind of ripped up the tax rule book and started again. Uh, do you just want to tell us a little bit about the background of the legislation that that you guys have got in place at the moment? Yeah, be happy to. Um, and I think that's probably a pretty fair and sort of widely shared view, even in the U.S. as well. Um, and, you know, I think sort of where we are today in, you know, in May 2021 has a lot to do with those, you know, ripping up of the rule book, those, those sweeping tax changes and tax cuts uh, from President Trump, which were enacted in uh, December 2017. Some of those provisions, you know, mainly the ones affecting individuals are, are, are set to expire at the end of 2025, but others like the lower 21% corporate tax rate in our move to a, you know, a quasi-territorial tax system in the form of this guilty tax regime, um, you know, uh, many of those corporate tax provisions that either eliminate or reduce tax on profits earned outside the U.S. are, are, are permanent. Many, and, you know, as you mentioned, Trump was perceived to, to rip up the rule book. Many of those provisions were perceived to have been rushed through Congress. Um, and essentially, at the end of the day, huge giveaways to big corporations and, and you know, essentially creating incentives to shifting jobs, investments and profits outside of the U.S. Um, in order to raise revenues needed to invest in the U.S. infrastructure and uh, to spur growth and corporate competitiveness, the Biden administration believes that many of the Trump provisions 
need to be sort of re-overhauled and that the U.S. should end what they perceive to be our participation in a global corporate tax race to the bottom. So far, we've seen several tax proposals, including from the Biden administration and a number of bills introduced. Uh, A detailed explanation of the proposals doesn't exist yet, but we are expecting that detailed explanation of Biden's proposals, which we sort of refer to as a a green book. Um, We are expecting to see something like that in the next few weeks. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, I've, I've I've read, you know, there are all sorts of initiatives that got quite kind of sexy names, like the American Rescue Plan, the American Jobs Plan, the American Family Plan. Uh, I think there are ideas to put more funding into the IRS. I'm I'm guessing only some of these are relevant to companies. A lot of it will also be about you know internal U.S. taxation as well. Yeah. No. And that. That's exactly correct. And I think just to talk about high level, some of the the trends and all of those, at least from a corporate perspective, one of the the key pieces is an increase in the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent. Some of the other items related to our guilty regime um, currently under the I'll say the TCJA guilty is subjected to tax at a preferential rate due to a a deduction that essentially gets you down to ten and a half percent in most scenarios. The expectation. Rob, Rob, could I just yeah. interrupt? But could you just briefly explain guilty for the, the few listeners who might not know what it is? No, absolutely. So the the way that I think of of guilty was it created this full inclusion low rate system into the U.S. So essentially, the the U.S. has a CFC regime. If you had income that was not subjected to to say any of their subpart F regimes, that income was subjected to tax currently in the U.S., usually at a 10.5% rate. There's also a couple other preferential pieces to that related to, um, let's say, physical investment in certain jurisdictions. But for the most part, the the easiest way to think of guilty was a full inclusion low rate into the, the U.S. So really, it was a way of the U.S., taxing income that had come out of low tax jurisdictions yeah well that was i think how it was definitely framed the the one piece that to put it in the context of why it was i'd say necessary is back with the tcj we moved to a participation exemption system in the u.s essentially a, a dividend received deduction in the u.s for foreign uh foreign source of dividends and in order to try to curb countries for, or companies from, say, putting profits overseas and then dividing the, the, uh, those earnings back to the U.S. tax-free, they tried to create this system that um, de-incentivized companies to move this mobile type of income overseas so it would still be subjected to tax at least at a 10.5% rate. Uh, okay, that's great. Sorry, I interrupted your main flow there of, uh, of oh, some no, of the other things. No, no, you're fine. I think the just to go back to that guilty point, some of the things that we're we're seeing is the the expectation of removing that preferential rate. So either it being taxed at say 21% or 28% if we have the the rate increase. Um, another key component of that right now, if I have say profits in country X and I have losses in country Y, from a guilty perspective, I get to net all those out from a to determine how much tax I pay on guilty in the U.S., there 
there's some expectation that that's going to change where that computation is going to be done on a country by country basis as well. Um, some of the, the other pieces that they're, um, one of the preferential regimes to the TCA, TCJA was this FDII regime, which essentially benefited U.S. companies for having foreign source types of income that that preferential regime is expected to go away. Um, one of the other items I'd say our foreign tax credit system. Um, currently, we're, you're limited on how much foreign tax credits you could take based on a type of income that you have. And the expectation is that will get further refined. So it's not just the type of income, but it's on a country by country basis. So say from the US, if you have excess foreign tax credits in country X, you don't, you have limited in country Y, you won't be able to use the credits from country X against country Y. Um, one of the other, I think, key components is an adjustment to our, say, our thin cap rules, the, the interest deductibility rules. Um, one of those, it, I'm not going to go into a tremendous amount of detail, but if you're considered an international financial reporting group, so essentially a, a U.S. entity with, with foreign entities or foreign entities with um, U.S. sourcing, there's a a new regime that's going to limit that based on the proportion of the interest expense you have, say, in one jurisdiction versus the the whole international financial reporting group. So I guess I would just add a couple of other things that, that are also on the table. One is um, lowering a threshold for, for or at which a tax that we refer to as the BEAT, base erosion anti-abuse tax applies. The, the 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 TCJA the 2017 tax changes um, added this additional tax to stem U.S. tax avoidance, particularly by by non-U.S. multinationals, but it can also apply to U.S.-based multinationals in some cases. It's a complex tax and it operates similarly to a minimum tax. Um, it 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 presently applies only to companies. That basically have more than 500 million USD in gross receipts, and that make more than three percent of deductible payments to non-US entities. Which you know you may find in in the case of a non-US owned multinational, you often find that. One of the proposals, again, it's very complicated without getting into a lot of the details, but one of the proposals would lower that 500 million threshold to 100 million. So companies that you know might have found themselves far from this tax applying, could very well find themselves subject to it um, going forward. Yeah. I was going to say, with the, with the pound doing quite well against the dollar again now, being up to about 140, you could quite easily see some, you know, not the biggest company, UK companies in the world, quite easily breaching that $100 million threshold. Right, right, exactly. Um there's another one, you know, just a couple of other sort of minor things just to touch on. Um, you know, there's another proposal to treat non-U.S. companies that are managed and controlled um, in the U.S. as U.S. entities. And I guess, you know, U.K. taxpayers are probably familiar with the concept of management and control. That's not something that we've had in the U.S. before. So, you know, there is this this possibility that we'll introduce that concept and no longer regard those companies 
as as non-U.S. companies and tax them like U.S. entities. Um, and and th- there is a threshold I should point out for that. I believe it's fifty million in in either assets or net assets uh, before that applies. But that that would be a, a, a brand new concept for us. Uh, a, a, another big one, you know, that's been been sort of kicked around is eliminating our check the box rules. You know, these rules, um, you know, allow basically the easy creation of hybrid entities for U.S. tax purposes and, you know, are obviously widely perceived, not just in the U.S., but around the world to be a source of, um, you know, of tax avoidance and inappropriate base erosion. So, you know, that is a, a, a something that we might see at some point, just a, an elimination of that. And the last thing I'll just mention, Lawrence, just to, to address one of the points you made earlier was, you know, the changes that we've really talked about here and focused on um, are really, you know, primarily focused on on corporate entities, corporates. But there are some other proposals that affect uh, individuals, not just U.S. citizens, but any individual who's subject to tax in the U.S., like non-U.S. citizens who are resident in the U.S., and you know there are some of those like increases in in capital gains. So to say that the the new changes are completely focused on corporates isn't isn't wholly accurate because individuals could find themselves uh, with different tax profiles going forward as well. Yeah, thanks for that clarification, Jordan. I mean that uh, what I take from from what you said is that all of this is aimed at raising more tax. Um, some of those things like uh, if management and control tests come in in the US, that could be very interesting because uh, the UK-US double tax treaty doesn't have a tiebreaker clause. So we could uh, end up with more more companies resident in both places. And uh, the proposals around check the box are quite interesting in as much as the UK, along with a lot of other jurisdictions, have introduced a lot of anti-avoidance rules to <laughs> try and stop companies taking advantage of check the box anyway. So it might be that the US is is kind of catching up with the rest of the world if that one came through. Could could you perhaps just remind me how the US political process works? Obviously, you've got a presidential system. So does that mean if the president, president says he wants these things, he automatically gets them? Uh, hardly. Um, you know, at a, at a very high level, um, our tax bills are initiated in the House of Representatives, and they have to make their way through the House Ways and Ways and Means Committee before being debated, amended, redebated, possibly reamended, and then voted on by the full House. Assuming the bill passes the House, um, it will then go to the Senate, where there's a similar process, you know, that often results in changes from the House version in the final Senate bill. Once a Senate, once a bill passes the Senate, it's then sent to a joint committee of House and Senate members to reach a compromise version. Once the House and Senate both approve the compromise version, the bill then goes to the president for approval. And if the president approves the bill, it becomes law. If he vetoes it, which our president has the power to do, if he vetoes it, Congress can override his veto with a two-thirds vote um, of each chamber. Uh, you know, this, this is obviously, you know, a mouthful and is a long way of saying that there's a complicated process to get tax legislation passed. And, um, you know, with a with an extremely closely divided Congress like we have now, it's far from clear that what the Biden administration wants 
will be, you know, will will, will completely uh, or will be sort of completely smooth sailing through through Congress. So, so there, there there could be changes to this, but but let, let's work on the the assumption he gets his way. Um, what would that mean for a UK business looking looking to invest in the US? What what are they going to need to look out for now? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the the first piece off the bat, and it's the most straightforward one, is the rate increase. Obviously, if you're modeling out your your ROI going into the US on investment, and you you got twenty one percent in there, and then um, you, you might have a very rude awakening. So I think part of it is understanding that. But I think from a, a macro level, if, if you're going into the U.S. and say the U.S. has any sort of CFCs that you're planning, say the U.S. is the North American hub and you'll be in, say, Mexico, Canada or vice versa, the the one piece to think about there is your implications to this this guilty regime. Um, the, the way that I think of the the modeling and planning that I'm seeing a lot of folks go through now is if if we go to this country by country approach and I've got profits in country A and I have losses in country Y, what can I do from either an IP planning perspective to move things around to utilize those losses or from a transfer pricing perspective, what can I do in order to say bring everybody much closer to break even so you're you're making sure that you're utilizing losses and not creating i'd say additional tax in the u.s um because of these say guilty changes um i think you know one of the the key pieces to this regime which i think is a little bit different um than where we are now is you know with the u.s tax rules i'd say there's three very common ways to get taxed in the u.s you've got income related to subpart F, which I think you classify mostly as your passive types of income, which would uh, currently is at a full rate. You have guilty at a reduced rate of 10.5%. And if you say check the box on the entity and had it flow through, it would have been at the full rate as well. I think under this new regime, a lot of those items are now all going to be at a very similar rate, if not exactly the same. So I think it's thinking about, does it make sense to try to to have it in a flow through structure that might help from a foreign tax credit perspective. Um, it's just a few things that you would think about differently um, than under the current law. I think some of the the other items, obviously, to go to the, the beat discussion that, that Jordan mentioned earlier, a lot of companies that were below the threshold obviously didn't do any sort of planning to mitigate any sort of beat exposure. If you're going into the U.S. and you hit that threshold, you might want to look at how some of your payments are structured to see if there's ways to remove some of those from the calculation and um, and and start to mitigate that now if you know you'd be over the that threshold going into the U.S., and 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 is that the same if if you've got a UK group that's already got US operations? I mean, yeah. presumably they'll need to think about making any changes. But but is it already too late? I mean, when will the changes be introduced? I mean, I, I think if you're a UK company with US operations already, um, I think all of what I just mentioned certainly still applies to you. I think one of the things that you'd want to make sure to to look at is this management and control concept. So if, say, you ha- the U.S. has foreign subsidiaries already and they're 
managing and controlling them from the U.S., that's definitely something that you'd want to look at and either maybe change or look at maybe what the structure would look like. But I, I wouldn't think at, at this point that it's too late to do anything. I, I What I've been seeing is trying to create the playbook now based on what you're hearing and what you're seeing. Obviously, these things could take a, a wild turn at some point and completely change. But having a playbook to know, okay, if if proposal X gets through, what can I do to start to mitigate the the damage there? Um, I think having that playbook ready so when these things start to come across the table, you can act quickly is is quite important. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And and for. A lot, a lot of my clients are subsidiaries of US organisations, um, and you know it's fair to say the UK finance teams don't don't always follow changes in tax law in America that closely. So, what what type of things should they be thinking about, or indeed might their their CFOs be asking them to think about if these changes come in place? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think that um, personally, I think that many of the proposals that Rob touched on uh, and we talked about earlier should be, you know, at the forefront of tax and financial directors and CFOs minds. And, you know, just kind of further to what we were just talking about with your last question, you know, in many cases, I think it's worth doing some advanced modeling of some of the the possible outcomes, you know, these different rates and, you know, the proposals being enacted. Um, I think that will put companies in the best position possible to plan for, for, for any future changes and know what, what could be coming, you know, things like the, the guilty rate increase, whether it is to, you know, 21% or to the full 28%, um, you know, possible reductions in, in, in differences in the methods of calculating foreign tax credits, opportunities to move IP to jurisdictions with losses, like Rob mentioned, um, these new limitations around interest deductibility, you know, where to place debt, if that's, you know, still an option, for example, in the case of startup companies or, or new deals, um, you know, and, and, and eyeballing the possible changes in planning opportunities for the beat tax. Those, those are the things that I'd be monitoring if I was responsible for taxes at a U.S. company with, with subsidiaries in the U.K. or really subsidiaries anywhere. Yeah, now that that that's useful. I think as ever, isn't it? It's about being prepared and uh, not letting any of these changes catch you by surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think uh, it, if you go back to the TCJA, if if you're a taxpayer that sat back and waited and tried to figure all this out in December of 2017, you had a pretty rude awakening. I think um, if that's taught us anything, it's, it's really getting out in front of this stuff now, knowing what's coming down the pipeline. So not just that you have a game plan, but you're also in a place where you can manage cash quickly and, and not be able to communicate up to the business so they can operate without a, without any speed bumps. Uh, Jordan, Rob, thank you very much for your time. We uh, we really appreciate it. We know you're uh, up against a busy season at the moment, so taking time to talk to our audience here in the UK is greatly appreciated. Uh, hopefully you all enjoyed this edition of Crowcasts, and hopefully you'll be able to join us for the next one when it's published. Thank you. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we advise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. 
We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.